Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if it's just me, but I've been I've been feeling my age a bit lately, seeing all <laughs> these kids that don't know how to like play on original Game Boys and stuff like oh, that. Oh, did you see that Reddit post with yeah, the kid with the Game Boy? Oh, the, the little girl trying to yeah uh, with the touchscreen. Did that you was... not feel old when you saw that? Uh, I, felt... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel old. I felt really sad. I was just like, seriously, how can you not know the joys of a Game Boy? Hello and welcome. The date today is the 27th of September and this is The Big Pixel. I'm George Eastmead, one of your hosts. I have with me, as always, the second host, Ben Palmer-Wilson. Hello. And we're actually joined by a special guest. Drumroll, it is Tristan Riven from Dev Espresso Games. Hey Tristan, how's it going? Hey, pleasure to be here. So for anyone who doesn't know about Devespresso Games and your work, would you mind just giving us a little capsule summary of yourself? Yeah, um, we're a small independent games development uh, team based out of uh, Seoul, South Korea. About two years ago, we released our first game called The Coma Cutting Class. And uh, just a few days ago, we made our console debut for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One with a remastered version of that game. Awesome. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the podcast as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I can tell you guys more about uh, the game and everything that went into creating it. Sounds fantastic. But first, the news. Um Ben, I know that you've actually been uh, away over the last week or so, and you've been uh, at a certain event. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about what you've been up to? I certainly can. So if you guys don't already know, there is an event in the UK called EGX. That's the Eurogamer Expo. It happens at the NEC every year. I have been there working for Alienware for the last four or five days. Um, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> It's it, it yeah <laughs> huge crazy weekend, um, probably one of the best events I've done. Um, bearing in mind you know I've done the huge ones like Gamescom and you know big things like um, Comic Con at the XL. So I've had some big events and I've got to say I think this was my favourite. So we had a great team, um, you know really good met some really great people, saw some great games, just had a really good time. Um, and actually funnily enough, it was the biggest EGX today. So they're expecting 70,000 people. And actually, I think they achieved almost 80,000 people. So, yeah, huge, huge event. That's great. Very, very good. It, you know, it's fantastic to see that the British gaming industry has actually come along leaps and bounds over the last few years, actually. Like, we have so many events hosted all around the UK now. Uh, and uh, it seems like British gaming is actually growing at a rate larger than you know, even in Spain or France or other countries like that, where, you know, the industry is sort of slowly starting to ramp up and, and take on uh, some extra numbers. But here in the UK, it seems to have accelerated greatly over the last uh, last few years. Good news for British gamers. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think that you go back five or 10 years and it was almost like a little sideline event that, that wouldn't really pop up on anybody's radar. And, you know, you look on social media and stuff now and they're hugely promoted and they're getting huge, huge numbers. I think uh, Gamescom was another one where, you know, you saw a lot of people. And actually, I saw quite a few British people make their way over there, you know, spoke to them um, at the Discord booth. So, 
Yeah, it, as you said, George, it's it's really ramping up, and it is great to see. Um, and I think we've discussed this in the past, where we've said that you know, uh, um, gaming used to be this kind of nerdy thing that you'd never really told anyone you did, or you kind of get quiet. And now all of a sudden, it's this huge genre, this huge world where almost everybody games in some capacity, even down to you know people on their phones with things like Candy Crush. Gaming is a huge, huge industry, um, and it seems that everybody's involved. I was reading some interesting stats the other day about um, overall gameplay and uh, uh, versus versus other industries and uh, gaming and cinema are almost on the the same level now. Actually, they the I mean I know that we've had stories years ago where something like Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two sold more copies than any other game in history and sold more than like any other movie on DVD or Blu-ray or something like that. Um, but it seems that the actual industry as a whole is now almost on a par with cinema. Um, I'd be interested to see if it would, you know, ever catch up to something like television. Um, but it's really crazy to see that that is at that level now. Um, and even with something like uh, esports as well, which is very much a subgenre of gaming. Um, esports, uh, there are actually more people who watch esports than sports. That's wild. That is, you know, that's actually a. Cr- that's an interesting stat, too, because, uh, you know, I, I actually read something very similar. And maybe it just depends on how you crunch the numbers, right? Because uh, I read something like uh, the current gaming industry, I guess, depending on how you calculate the numbers, is even uh, larger than cinema and the music industries combined in certain cases. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, music's another one to, to throw into the mix. Um, I'm not really sure of the size of the musical industry, but I assume it's pretty damn big. Yeah, I guess maybe um, when you fold mobile gaming into it and all the, the revenue it generates on a daily basis. <laughs> ben, when we had our post-Gamescom show, we spoke a little bit about some of the hijinks and merriment that made up the event. Uh, did you have any funny run-ins over the course of uh, over the course of EGX? <laughs> Do you know what? I'd actually completely forgotten about that. So thank you for reminding me. So for anyone that doesn't remember or hasn't watched the, you know, listened to the episode, um, George and I are running to Chris Bratt from Eurogamer um, uh, on one of the evenings during Gamescom um, in in the men's toilets in a pub. Now that was <laughs> like definitely the highlight. Going. so uh, definitely one of our highlights George's and I um, from Gamescom and the very first day I'm sitting there waiting to get my exhibition pass at EGX and who should run past me but uh, Chris Bratt Um, I I think as he was walking towards me it it was clear that I think he knew who I was Um, I'm trying to decide whether watching him maybe steer around me a little bit was just a figment of my imagination or not i'm not really (laughs) sure but i made every effort to appear as normal as physically possible so that he doesn't think that george and i are just like to accost people while we're going to the toilet in random countries um and funny story that i didn't tell you about george um later on during the show i actually ran into uh it was the actually the after party on saturday i ran into johnny from eurogamer as well um He's also one of the video video guys from uh, from Euro, uh, Eurogamer, and um, I, I was speaking to him. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I ran into you know a good friend of mine, and I ran into uh, Chris over at Gamescom, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I think Chris told me about that." So 
clearly our story is making the rounds around the uh, around the Eurogamer office. So that, that's always amusing to hear. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably a picture of both uh, your and I faces, like on the wall, like with a warning sign or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would not be surprised. I really wouldn't. Um, we're, we're definitely on like a some form, uh, like a similar form of like wanted poster, but kind of like a just a beware of these people, for sure, for uh, sure. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Um, it's it's so brilliant to see that that Eurogamer has like come on leaps and bounds as well. Uh, fantastic rundown of the show there. Uh, I think uh, something else uh, recently, which has been growing in numbers, uh, has been Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Now, Ben, Did- we have put a lot of time and uh, dedicated a number of episodes to talking about Battlegrounds, but guess have- what? I started playing it, and it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes yes so, so george has picked up the game recently and i keep waking up to messages from george at, you know from about 12 to one o'clock in the morning where he's saying oh i got to number four i got to this got to that and i remember i distinctly remember sending you a message saying yeah, yeah you're clearly addicted you're like one of us now one of us <laughs> he gets it guys he gets it yeah um it's one of those games i love watching people play it's so good, right? It's just it, there's every moment in that game is a unique experience. Yeah, it really is. Um, I I think when we first spoke about it on the pod, my concerns were that um, it had been out for some time, and I was having my reservations going into it, feeling like I would be left behind. But there are so many people playing it now that the chances of you running into someone who is super high skill level are pretty damn low actually and i think so much of the game comes down to chance that even on my very first game i came to number 19 which i was pretty pleased with um and i've gotten better and better since then and you know you don't necessarily need to know all the little quirks and tricks as you go through the game but the more you play it the more you learn that anyway and it doesn't necessarily affect how good you are um my concerns about being good at the game um, coming into it late are completely unfounded because um, at the end of the day, it's you versus 99 other folks and your <laughs> chances of winning are pretty damn small whether you're god tier or whether you're a complete noob. So don't worry about it and just dive on in. True. Yeah, the first time I heard about the game was, well, I just heard the premise of it, right? You guys ever watched that movie uh, Battle Royale? I watched it last oh, week. Yeah. <laughs> Did you oh, actually? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of inspired. Yes. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I heard the premise of the game, I was, uh, well, Minho told me about that. He's my uh, 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 colleague. And uh, yeah, I started watching. I was like, hey, this is just like the, the Japanese movie. Well, minus the pots and pans and, uh, you know, <laughs> the random weapons element, which would be a pretty cool mod. For a game like this you know <laughs> so it's funny you say that because i think it was uh one of my colleagues um that we were discussing this with um i i can't wait for modding in this game because when you watch things like hunger games which is similar in scope they have all these different types of traps so it's not just the blue zone that kind of comes in and you slowly take away health um, and the bombing zones they have you know like the, the bees and all these different like types of traps and types of zones that are danger you know a danger to you that activate at different times i'd love to see mods in the game move towards that where at certain points zones on the map would become uniquely dangerous to you um Mm -hmm. so i'm really hoping yeah as you said to see different bits and pieces like that happen yeah so yeah mod should be good mod should be good 
And and it would be nice to see different rewards as well, maybe other than just the crates. Perhaps there'd be other things that you could get. Maybe a, a special vehicle or something would be in a in an area that was, um, you know, under a bombing zone or under some other kind of special zone. Um, maybe that might be an interesting take on it. But you know, they're they're making a lot more changes to the game and they're adding new stuff in all the time. So yeah, I'm really pleased to be part of the the community and a community which is now 1.5 million strong on a single day they had one and a half million people concurrently playing which beats the record for dota 2 wow that's crazy that's crazy what's dota 2's steam player record of all time do we know uh i don't know but i just know they beat it (laughs) so i've just found out player unknowns battlegrounds all-time peak is 1,523,179 people which is absolutely insane um, but it's even more insane when you realise that Dota 2's all-time peak was only ever 1,291,328. So they've beat it by almost 200,000 players, which is absolutely incredible. Wow. Yeah, and it just came out. It's just come out. It's still in early access. Um, yeah. Wow, absolutely insane. Nearly as many people who are playing the coma, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bomb way. that's smooth segue that's smooth segue (laughs) well before we jump into discussion on the coma i did want to talk a little bit about what we've been playing uh recently um ben uh, i know you've been playing something quite interesting and uh, i wonder if you'd like to lead this section actually uh i certainly can um so for anyone that's you know kind of listened to the last one or two episodes i've been getting more and more excited and fangirling around the upcoming guild wars 2 expansion Um, As of last Friday, it has released, and I've got to say, it's lived up to my expectations and more. Um, I don't think I went to bed until half 12 last night. Um, I'm just losing myself to this game a little bit. Um, Yeah, I've I've managed to find time each day to to play this. It's just incredible. It really is. I've already finished the story, uh, believe it or not, (laughs) and I'm collecting all the brand new mounts. And right now I'm spending, you know, half of my time just running around the world and just enjoying playing it. Um, The the new maps are beautiful. The story is excellent. Um, And, you know, the way to get around the map now instead of just running around or or gliding, if you have the previous expansion, you now have um, five mounts to to use and, and to explore the world with. It's yeah, I'm 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 in love <laughs> right now. I'm in love. Did you um, take a laptop with you to to EGX I or did, did you leave it? Oh, you did. Oh shit. <laughs> I did. I I found half an hour one morning. I think it was Saturday morning where I I, I you know I got up and I didn't actually have to work because for anyone who doesn't already know, I um apart from attending events to to help out with different clients, I also you know my main role is social media content and you know advertising and marketing. Um, so, you know, I managed to have a day in the morning where I didn't have anything to do and I thought I'll, I'll sign on and, and have a little go. And yeah, I'm, I'm surprised I made it into EGX that morning because I did just get sucked in hugely, hugely. Um, and just speaking about EGX really quickly. So George knows this. I have, I've been offered many times to try out VR and I've always said no. And I don't really know why. I think it is probably down to the fact that I see it a little bit gimmicky at the moment. Um, you know, I've always said, oh, there's no like proper games for it and that kind of thing. So I tried a game called Robo Recall on the Oculus Rift, 
And I thought it would be just a case of, oh, I'll just try this so I can tell the people coming onto the Alienware booth how to play it. And four or five goes later, and I'm still playing the game. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm, I'm going to be more than happy to drop a few hundred pounds to pick up a, a VR headset. Um, virtual reality, as someone who had no interest whatsoever, it just absolutely blew my mind. All these people that come on and like, oh, VR, it's so cool, you know. Like, you've got to try it, you've got to try it. And, you know, I've been to five, six events over the past year and a half. And, you know, it, this is the first time I've even tried it. And I finally get what they were saying. I finally understand. And I'm finally ready to empty my bank account to, to get the experience at home. <laughs> I had that moment last year. Um, I was at uh, G-Star in uh, Busan, Korea. And they... I don't know if you, if any of you guys have tried this. They they had the like uh, virtual reality room. Well, it's basically just a taped off area, right? Um, With a green screen. And that's, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you you wear the headset. They uh, they put this like, well, the the one that the setup that I played. You wore this kind of backpack that had all the machinery in it, and then you wore these special gloves, and then uh, they gave you a kind of uh, gun. That you carry around and then you had to wear these like uh shoes right and then when you uh start they place you in a certain spot with that's in that taped off area and uh you know they initiate the whole uh story mode of the game or whatever and basically from within the game it uh i mean you you, you feel like you're walking through these massive halls and you know, it was like a kind of, I was playing a, a sort of a space shooter, alien type game. And uh, yeah, I was just like walking through this abandoned sort of spaceship. It was so surreal. Um, but, you know, from, from everybody else's perspective, I was just like walking around in a circle within that little cordon off <laughs> area, right? But it was pretty yeah. cool. You tried so, that before, uh, not just the headset, but you know, with kind of the backpack where you have like more freedom of movement. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I was just going to say, when you say it's surreal, I totally get what you meant because after spending 10 or 15 minutes in VR, I came out and I was speaking to one of the people I was working with there and I just kept looking at my hands. It was like this yeah. really weird moment where I'd spent so long in there kind of, you know, playing around with the controllers and, and like moving around in that virtual space that I came out and it was like, nothing is real. Like this world <laughs> isn't real. And I was like looking at my hands, like oh, those are my yes. hands. Well, like I was just, I was just like, damn, has somebody slipped me a drink while I was in there? Like what is happening? I just have <laughs> like really uh, images of that moment in Far Cry 3 where he keeps looking down at his hands. He's like, what have yeah. I done? What, what have yeah. I done? <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly it. Just come out like, ah, what is this? <laughs> so that yeah, was literally it was really the first thing I did when i was what when you in. went into vr like just looked like at your hands. looked in looked down in my hands and was like whoa you know see i, I did wearing that gloves, i could see my hands moving around and stuff that's so cool that's so cool so i was i i did exactly the same thing because i in in robo recall you like move your hands around you pick guns up and like you bring them up and i was like bringing these guns like like right close to my face so in real life all i was doing i'm wearing this virtual headset and just like practically hitting myself with these controllers in the face but like i was like moving this gun around right and you've got this complete 3d model right in front of you um you know with these little tassels mm -hmm. hanging off and then moving around in like real space and it's it's absolutely bizarre 
Now, I've got to preface that absolute wonderment with the fact that I did try and shoot myself with one of the guns just to see what happens. Of course. Um, <laughs> you've got it, right? It's just that like I'm in VR. I've got a couple of guns with me. Like, what happens if I try and shoot myself with them? Um, I don't think it did any damage. But, yeah, I, I, that's my little highlight of like VR. It's just like, yeah, first thing to do, uh, you know, typical human depressive tendencies. Let's see if I can shoot myself while I'm in VR. So, uh, it's but not no. Funny though, like uh, you know, uh, I think everybody that tries VR for the first time, they go through that really surreal dissonance of feeling kind of disembodied in a way, but also yeah, like, like so interested in the moment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I can't imagine. There's going to be a point in the future where this is all completely second nature to people. Yeah. But uh, oh, have you seen this? Uh, I don't know. I'm a big. Uh, unabashed rick and morty fan apparently yes. there's a, the vr <laughs> game virtual yes, rick and is, yeah <laughs> i totally want to try that out that does look good fun <laughs> what, what was it called is it called paul or am i am i making that name up he's taking paul off the grid <laughs> he doesn't have a social security number <laughs> amazing so yeah i remember that it's like blips and shits ah oh amazing episode hey have you guys caught up on that actually have you seen the latest episode i saw the latest one. Oh, it's so good i'm sorry george yeah i'm still george behind. you need to catch up you need to catch up all right i finally <laughs> so... got around to playing battlegrounds like what more do you want <laughs> <laughs> we need to catch george up on the latest pop culture like listen george cancel the podcast now come on let's go <laughs> but yeah no um week the finale though yeah oh don't don't remind me don't remind me it's it's a sad time it means waiting for another year or two for for more rick and morty so sad times. year or two who knows yeah, wow well, exactly exactly so we'll see what happens but anyway what that's me what have you guys been playing tristan do you want to jump in yeah um well i I don't really keep up with a lot of newer games. I'm really into all uh, um, these very uh, narrative-based uh, sort of adventure games, things like that. Um, are you familiar with the game Kentucky Route Zero? No, not by at any all. chance. Yeah, I am. That's the one where you have to like travel with a little group and you stop and get supplies, right, from the zombies. <laughs> uh, zombies. <laughs> I played it a little bit, so uh, yeah. But, you know, it's also one of those like really atmospheric uh, sort of point-and-click adventure games, stuff like that. Um, Telltale games, uh, stuff like Wolf Among Us. But uh, the game that I most recently have sort of jumped into and have been like pleasantly addicted to is uh, this War of Mine. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we spoke yeah. about that on the podcast uh, a little while ago. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what you have to have to say about that. Well, I haven't pl- I haven't played too much. I've, I've probably just logged about ten hours into it. But yeah, uh, I just I just uh, jumped into it, and uh, it's that's 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 my sort of guilty pleasure right now. Very very cool. Um, I think it's a very simple game to play and. The thing I like about it is that you can kind of customize your experience a bit. So you can kind of, uh, you know, uh, you can put your own profile up there with your friends and stuff as well. And so it's you guys who are the uh, survivors in the war-torn country trying to make it from day to day. 
which kind of gives it this like pretty cool element. Oh, but, you can. Uh, sorry, you can you can add your actual like photos and bio on there, can you? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, how yeah, have I, I seen that? that? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if I, I haven't really looked into whether or not you can change the actual like character models and stuff like that. But yeah, you can totally customize. I think uh, I think the option in the game is called My Story or something like that. Yeah, and then you can uh, sort of customize your party members. Wow, that's incredible. It's like The Sims, but in a horrible war-torn country. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really horrible at this game. I don't, I don't think I've survived, like, past 15 days. I'm just too much of a risk-taker. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll just go all out, you know, to just scavenge for food, raid people's refrigerators and stuff. I'll murder old couples, steal all their, like, chicken wings. So, out of context, we've got a, an admission of guilt by Tristan, <laughs> just raiding old people for uh, for chicken wings. What an awful person! <laughs> it, it, and I, I'm pretty sure karma catches up with me in the end. Like I said, I don't. I don't <laughs> it's decisions like that are probably the reason why I don't survive longer than 15 days in my uh, simulation of of just, these events. But. Just taking elderly people's KFC buckets. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's that is a really good game, and I do remember we, you know, we did speak about that um, a little while ago. Um, very depressing game. I have kind of played around a little bit myself, but yeah, absolutely brutal game. Very unforgiving if you if you don't take your time and really plan things. And even then, you know, you can struggle. So yeah, yeah, very very interesting game. Yeah, so that's kind of the one that I I've, I've been into. <laughs> Well, from a game which is uh, probably quite depressing to something which is um, really quite fun, um, I've been playing Knack 2 over the last uh, uh, week or so. Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> right, okay, so everyone everyone knows about Knack. Everyone knows about how much publicity it got from Sony when the uh, PlayStation 4 first dropped. And admittedly, it is fantastic that they have been able to uh, model so many different physical elements, all of the different relics that make up Nack's body, um, to animate in such a way and to then fall ragdoll style all across the ground um, whenever you switch between your small form and your big form. Like It's really cool and it's impressive that the PlayStation 4 can handle something like that because I know even back in the day trying to render a thousand barrels on Gary's mod and try and knock them all over in a car uh, tend to make my CPU go crazy. So it's really cool that they've managed to do that. Um, Knack 1 never really got a huge amount of traction. And honestly, when I played it when the PS4 first came out, um, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was exciting. But the gameplay was really repetitive. It was like watching uh, a Pixar movie where all you had to do is just press square every so often. Um, and like, I mean, you could just sit there and watch Finding Nemo and just hit a controller if you wanted to and have the same experience. Um, but... With Knack 2, I think that they've definitely made a few changes. They've added a lot more attacks and defensive maneuvers into the game. Uh, they've added a few more um, cooperative elements in there as well. So if you play with a friend, uh, I've been playing with my girlfriend, as I typically tend to do with these games. Uh, it adds a little bit more depth to it. There's some uh, cooperative puzzles that you have to figure out. 
uh, and the yeah the combat is a little bit more advanced in that you can level things up and you can actually go through a kind of a skill tree to to unlock new um, yeah new attacks to take the combat in your own direction so um, I wouldn't necessarily call it game of the year or anything like that but it's been it's been good fun and I've definitely enjoyed uh, the the few hours I've played of it so just to jump in here real quick until i saw uh you know your your kind of schedule for this podcast and what you wanted to talk about the only thing that i've ever heard about nak2 is from a guy um he's a very popular youtuber called video game donkey here we go here he comes the very, pop culture yeah. oh yeah <laughs> um he makes spoof videos um you know he makes very jokey videos very very amusing stuff and he he's absolutely slated it from what i can see the whole time he's just like you know look at all these great classic games from the PlayStation era and what do we get like another knack <laughs> so um i did watch a, you know some gameplay and some trailers and stuff on this game and actually it you know i don't mean this as an insult in any way but it does look like a very george game you know platforms and you know indie and and you know the great visuals and stuff so not my cup of tea, but I mean, it's interesting to hear that you've played it. I mean, kind of just give us like a a summary. Like, what did you think in terms of like, was it actually good? Would you kind of, would you recommend I play it? Because obviously you know what I play and what I don't Listen, play. Listen, like it, it, in terms of um, rating it as a game, when you compare what is on the market now, um, I don't think you can really give it a, a very high score. Um, I say that because there are a lot of get-out-of-jail-free cards that the developers play in terms of the overall game design. So, for instance, you will go into an area, you're then gated off from going back to a previous area. Um, enemies will attack you in very similar patterns. You can fight them back by hitting the same patterns. I know I, know I said that there was um, a bit more depth to the combat, but there's really not a huge amount of it overall. Um, you can do the same kind of things and enemies will counter them in the same way. Um, it also does the same thing where you will um, have a party companion who will be behind you, uh, you know, an NPC. Um, they will stand behind you while you fight the enemies, but then only come into a shot as soon as, uh, you know, you've actually fought them off. There's never anything that really breaks the mold or shakes anything up in any new way. Uh, it's very, very um, vanilla in terms of its game design. But I think the game is pretty much designed for someone of the age of like 7 to 13 at max, really, if I'm honest. And like, although it's kind of fun to play, um, it, it is a kid's game. That said, there are kid's games which do actually um, uh, you know, add a little bit more to that. Something like Little Big Planet, which uh, I played recently as well and reviewed on this podcast, I think is probably a better game. So, yeah, it's it's good, but it's not that good. And Ben, nah, I wouldn't offer you to, to <laughs> go play it. I don't think you'd have a good time. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Okay. I have nothing um, of value to add to this conversation about Knack, but I can't be the only one that thinks he kind of looks like Ganondorf. From, from what? <laughs> or maybe <laughs> like Ganon from... Uh, oh! From Link, like well, Zelda. I don't know why, but every time I see like the cover of Knack, I like the first thing that pops in my head is just like Ganon for some reason. I don't you know, know maybe it's just... yeah, yeah. You are kind of right, actually. Yeah, he's got that kind of towering sort of yeah, yeah, like heavy presence. Yeah, heavy presence. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely see the like the the comparison for sure. 
<laughs> right. Know, you know, Ben, I actually uh, met Knack at a previous EGX. I think it was EGX oh, or Mar- maybe a, uh, a Paris Games Week or something. I don't know. Yeah, he was he was there. I shook his hand. <laughs> I don't know if that's a joke or not, but... See, uh, we, we can gonna... all meet celebrities. It's not just you <laughs> in bathrooms. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> celebrities. Oh, I did actually... Um, just quick, you know, quickly running back to the EGX, I did actually meet some really cool people. Um, I met uh, Jack Frags. Jack Frags is absolutely lovely. Yes. Um, yeah. Really, really cool guy. Um, I saw Sacrio. I didn't manage to, to speak to him. Um, I probably had a few too many drinks to hold a decent conversation. Mm-hmm. So probably would, wouldn't have been my best moment. But yeah, um, and obviously, you know, Chris Bratton and Johnny from Eurogamer. So yeah, definitely, you know, definitely you need to come to more events, George, so that we can we can embarrass ourselves further to other members of the Eurogamer staff. <laughs> <laughs> that is, of course, as ever, my objective. Without further ado, let's dive into the feature part of the podcast and talk about the Coma Recut. Absolutely. So, Tristan, we didn't have you just on here to listen to this insanity the whole time. It would be great to uh, have you talk a little bit about the Coma uh, and uh, yeah, help uh, anyone who doesn't know anything about it uh, actually understand it. So um, the the coma is essentially a uh, uh, it's it's a, a 2D horror title also on one plane, uh, and it's actually uh, inspired by uh, a lot of the pressures of the Korean education system. Correct? Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so we're small. We're a small game studio. Uh, there are four of us now. And uh, when we started making the coma, we this we kind of settled on the idea of creating a uh, sort of 2D survival horror adventure game. And a lot of that was just um, us kind of going with the flow of uh, what we were good at. Minho, um, a very prolific uh, artist, so that's why we wanted to keep everything hand illustrated. But uh, when it came to the story itself, uh, uh, we we wanted to stick with something that we could all sort of identify and understand really well. Um, and we decided to kind of base uh, the central narrative on uh, the pressures of uh, kind of growing up, living in a place like South Korea, where the uh, social uh, and the, the social pressure to perform and uh, maintain excellent grades from elementary, middle to high school is really high and something the students struggle with every day. So we took that little bit and uh, we decided to craft a sort of a horror story out of it. Okay. So you say that the the whole culture behind the game is what inspires it. Um, tell me a little bit about what that's like for, for, for a student in Korea. Why is it so oppressive? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I always hesitate to say like, okay, this is extremely oppressive or something like that, because it's something that I... Um, everybody over there deals with. So it's, it's the topic itself is not going to be something that is alien to anybody that's sort of either taught in Korea or uh, has ever been educated there. Uh, so 
I'll give you like a, a, a good example. Uh, I used to teach in South Korea, so uh, my background isn't actually in uh, game design. Uh, my major is about as far from that as it can possibly be. I graduated with a degree in Asian studies. So <laughs> after graduating, I kind of moved over to South Korea and one of my first jobs was to work uh, as an English teacher um, in an elementary school. And these kids would wake up really early. I mean, they would, I mean, they were getting to school. Um, some of them were waking up around 6 a.m. They get to school. And then uh, when school's out, uh, they immediately go into their uh, extracurricular activities, which can range from doing piano lessons to going into cram study groups. Um, and sometimes uh, these kids, like I'm literally talking about elementary school students, sometimes they don't get back home until, you know, 10 p.m. at night. And uh, that's, that's seen as a pretty normal thing in uh south korea okay. so uh i was always like i mean and until today like i'm just sometimes really taken aback by you know uh what a normal thing this kind of uh schedule is for some kids you know uh, some kids don't get back home until midnight you know they have they have a uh, special hagwons hagwon is uh the korean word for uh, private school private academy where they uh, study really late into the night. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty normal. And uh, parents are kind of, uh, it's, it's really important to enroll your, your uh, child in a, in a really good hagwon, whether that be for studying Chinese or English or math or uh, some kind of musical instrument. It's uh, just a, a very normal part of life in Korea for students. So I, I don't know whether you know this, Tristan, but I actually did a bit of social content for, for the coma. Um, mm -hmm. And while I was doing the research for it uh, with George, I couldn't believe, um, you know, I, I think we watched, uh, George recommended this documentary on, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Korean school and education culture. And the fact that they were, they were getting up at like six or seven o'clock, uh, you know, being in school for like seven or eight finishing at four and then going to like these these cram schools after until 10 or 11 i just i couldn't believe it um you know i thought george was kind of joking when he was saying it but uh, you know when he was he was telling me about it but i i just couldn't believe watching this documentary and and how much pressure is is put on these children and how, you know how much they have to go through every day um just to you know to get this kind of thing done it was just absolutely baffling i mean you know, we in in Western, in, at least in the UK, we have what nine until three, half three, um, mm -hmm. very very short days, um, and we you know we make it a point of contention. I think even more so now in terms of like you know mental health and stuff, is to ensure yeah. that you know we've got count guidance counselors and and we we struggle, we really strive to make sure that children are happy and to to make sure that they're mentally sound. So hearing that, you know, they're spending 18 plus hours or, or, or similar to, to study is just absolutely, it's, it's a huge culture shock, huge culture shock. So coming from obviously the, the Western background myself and with, with you, Ben, and, and obviously yourself, Tristan, you are, you're from America, correct? Yeah, I'm from, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so far from this. Like I'm from Appalachia in Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Country part of the States. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, it was a huge culture shock for me when I, when I first arrived in Korea and like literally saw this going on and just kind of how desensitized everybody is to it. I, I don't even know if that's the right word. It's just, a, it's just a considered a normal part of mm. culture. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think like to, to, to drop a, a history lesson on you, um, with the UK, uh, of course, um, we had the Victorian era and then, you know, the Industrial Revolution where we had kids working in factories and stuff for a long, long time. Um, mm -hmm. And it was only until we, we had that kind of realization that, um, you know, these kids couldn't actually function in the same way that their parents could maybe they could do jobs where they could use their size to their advantage cleaning chimneys or something like that but aside from that you know the parents were um you know out of work all day and then the kids had nothing to do during the day and so then we had more of uh, an emphasis on having them go to school but ben as you say in today's culture here in the west we have a strong pressure on making sure that um kids are treated fairly for their age um out in Korea, I think uh, a lot of this pressure comes now from uh, the off the back of the Korean War, where there was a lot of uh, emphasis put on trying to grow the educational system and try to grow the the uh, economy as a result as well through that, through essentially hard work. Um, all of that puts a terrible amount of pressure on a kid and of course on parents as well. Um, but I was really interested to learn from you, Tristan, actually, how... Um, in the West, uh, you know, uh, a kid in, in school, if they're, you know, the funny one, the troublemaker, they're usually the cool one out in Korea. Being smart is cool. Being uh, a tutor can earn you millions and millions of dollars. Um, it's yeah. really in, insane how that whole culture is completely <laughs> different, right? It's just they, they, I mean, you know, you watch a lot of American films or cartoons and <laughs> stuff like that. We have these like tropes of what it means to be the cool kid or uh, <laughs> the job, right? I don't know if that's the same in the UK. I, I can't imagine it must be like too different. But yeah, uh, yeah in Korea, it just totally gets turned <laughs> upside down, you know, the like the, the whole concept of, of the cool kid. And yeah, uh, I mean, uh, even as my even during my time as a teacher, you know, uh, you, you, you could definitely see like I, I, I had the experience of uh, having kids in my class who in the States would have been considered like the more sort of athletic, popular type. Right. Totally shunned in Korea because he's just like not there, not paying attention to the teacher, not really participating in class with the rest of the group. And Korea is very much a uh, collectivistic uh, culture, you know, that old, that old uh, saying, uh, the nail that sticks up, sticks up gets hammered down, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Korea is very much like kind of in that frame of mind. And, uh, you know, when you have a class full of students that are all like trying their best to like focus and, and do this thing, if, if you got like one kid that's, you know, just not uh, putting in the same effort. Right. It, uh, he gets shunned or, you know, he will definitely feel that social pressure to kind of uh, perform. So, yeah, yeah I think, think it, it, it really does just go back to that, that massive culture shock um, 
you know like you said we we over here we have the the popular people are the guys that do mess around a little bit that are sporty that are athletic although you know we've been out of school for you know (laughs) a good number of years now but yeah it's 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 crazy to think that the nerdy bookworm kind of sort of you know the type that archetype is is kind of the ideal over there um it's such a it's the polar opposite of, of what we typically associate i mean look at any western kind of film and the most you know the quote-unquote popular kid is the sporty you know gets the girl guy at that kind of thing um yeah yeah just a again huge huge culture shock so you wanted to, to say that there isn't a fine balance though it's like this is the other thing which is uh you can be the otaku right which is uh that is not a good thing in korea right that's where you you kind of go over the nerd line over there <laughs> and then i don't know it, it actually reminds me a lot of what it must have been like to grow up in the 80s early 90s you know when you when i don't know about the uk but in the states you know definitely if you love video games and star wars and stuff like that you were kind of socially shamed for being like really into these things right um sometimes korea's still like that you know if you're like too into like mangas or comic books and and stuff like that all right you you can cross the line it really reminds me of that kind of era in a weird way (laughs) Ah, interesting so you can go too far uh, in the yeah, opposite yeah. direction as well as there's a, a middle ground. Um, yeah, you can be, just be studious. <laughs> Tristan, um, it's clear that you wanted to tell a story uh, about the, the educational system and there was clearly uh, a lot to say about it. Um, why did you decide to go down the route of a, a horror story? What is the, the basis behind that idea? So... Um... Actually, to be really fair, a lot of this was informed by Minho's own experiences. Um, not that he got chased through his schools by a, a knife-wielding psychopath, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know he he wanted uh, when he was originally uh, crafting the story, he wanted to find uh, a way to work these themes into this sort of horror game, this crazy horror. I mean, the, the concept of our game for those listening who don't know about the comma is that, uh, you're playing as young ho who is a Korean high school student. And, uh, on the, uh, last day of finals, he kind of stays up all night cramming and then he falls asleep in, in class. And, uh, during his tests, and he wakes up to find himself trapped in this sort of shadowy version of his school. And all the doors are locked, there's no way out of this school, and he's being pursued through the halls by this um, psycho that looks eerily uh, like his teacher. And um, yeah, the question for us uh, in crafting this game, this kind of story, is are there any subtle ways in which uh, we can remain true to like sort of the extreme uh, or strike a fine balance between the extreme like uh, tropes of the Korean horror genre while also uh, speaking toward um, some uh, topics that are very much a big issue in a lot of uh, students' lives here. Uh, and definitely something that a lot of them will, uh, you know, identify with the, the pressure of, 
sort of performing well on finals, uh, the necessity of like being able to uh, speak English well or the pressure to do so, um, uh, getting bullied in, in, in school, uh, kind of balancing the pressures of, of, of studying and maintaining good grades with the expectations of your teachers, and then also all the sort of things that go on behind the scenes, like the gossip between students and uh, the gossip between students about their teachers and things like that. So how do we work all this into, um, in a subtle and sometimes not so subtle way into a game that essentially has you just trying to stay alive? The game is incredibly atmospheric. Uh, and I think if there's any uh, top tip that I would give to to a player, it's to wear headphones. Um, one, not just because it, it makes the game sound a lot better and makes you feel like you are trapped within that space. Um, but two, because it gives you the advantage of being able to hear uh, where the, the killer is essentially coming from, where this, this entity that is pursuing you uh, might well be be hiding but the game uh, it it deals with a lot of uh, difficult issues really and a lot of difficult issues that are tough to address in what is essentially an entertainment product a video game so there's there's things like bullying like you've just mentioned this huge uh, cultural pressure to perform well that we've just been discussing uh, and even at the very start of the game something as severe as suicide is mentioned how do you mm-hmm. Uh, include all of those different elements into the setting of a horror game without it becoming overwhelming or just being just too dark? Yeah. Um, well, I think that we we get away with it a little bit uh, in two ways. Number one, it's a horror game. So uh, you can explore really dark themes like that. Um, actually, three things going on here. Number <laughs> okay. two, the setting is in Korea. Um, and yeah, it's, it's true. Like this, these are very serious issues. I think, I think the, the most recent statistic that I read was, uh, I believe Korea is probably number one in the world right now, leading, um, developed countries in most suicides per capita. Really? Um, I thought Japan held that title myself. Oh no. Yeah. Korea's yeah. Korea's way above Japan per capita yeah so uh i mean it's bad in japan too i mean and that's a country that is very well known for like sort of the the sort of social pressures and stuff that that compel people to to take that um to take those actions so uh yeah i mean we're we're talking about horror game we're talking about issues that are very common especially in Korea. But like you said, uh, it's really difficult to tackle um, such issues, especially when you're making what is essentially an entertainment product. And, you know, I talked to you about this once before, but I, I, I think one, one way in which we at least try to get away with that is we try to inject, like the game is very dark, it's very atmospheric, very heavy, um, and a lot of the themes are, but we do try to inject this really cheesy humor into the game. Um, and in the hopes that that can kind of uh, offset 
all of that a little bit more and and maybe elevate <laughs> elevate certain aspects of the story you know above that so it's it's not taken so seriously obviously these are all yeah. things that you want we want to shed you know we want to uh, shine a light on but we want people to uh, learn more about it. We want them to enjoy the, themselves while they're while they're uh, uh, playing the game, and uh, we want them to enjoy these characters. And uh, I think we try to offset that a little bit with some like really cheesy humor. <laughs> so, um, a character like Young Ho, he's he's great fun. Like he is kind of your. You're nerdy, but not maybe so smart, not very athletic, every man. And he has some really great lines inside the game. Uh, uh, and it just does really break the tension when you do have those moments where you've been pursued or you are hiding in a cupboard or something while the, the, uh, the killer is going past and you're not sure if you're going to uh, get caught or not. Um, it really does help break that up. And I think that you've done a fantastic job of being able to uh, try and tell both sides of the the story with that um the game actually has um some uh, some parity i would say with something like alien isolation in that you are in a confined space uh say we're high uh or the uh the ship inside alien uh, isolation and you're being pursued by essentially one solitary antagonist uh you mm -hmm. have to try and you know, hide in certain places, evade them. And if it does come down to it, um, you can't necessarily fight the killer, but you can evade them in the same way that in Alien Isolation, you can't fight the alien, but you can use your flamethrower to get past it maybe just for a moment so that you can get those all important seconds to find your hiding space. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the the gameplay in general so uh the coma recut adds a, a number of different elements in there like being able to roll to evade uh, or being able to crouch down and hide behind objects in the dark um what else has been added into the game which separates it from the coma cutting class which was the original version of the game which uh, yourself and minho worked on uh, back a couple of years ago yeah um you know when we were when we were working on the original cutting class, um, that was something we were all doing just in our free time in the evenings, uh, burning the midnight oil just to finish it up. And uh, to be really honest, even until today, I'm, I'm actually surprised we, uh, all of us greenhorns, never having uh, shipped a game before, were able to just like get through it and actually get something out there. So it was it was far from a really uh, finished, the, the finished product that we really wanted it to be. And so, uh, you know, when we were, when we decided to release uh, the coma with Digerati's help uh, for consoles, we wanted to revisit it and polish up a lot of the stuff that we felt like we had not uh, been able to do the first time around. Uh, and, the majority of it was just rebalancing a lot of stuff, uh, making the inventory space smaller and tighter to give it that, like I, uh, to emphasize that sort of claustrophobic feeling of uh, not, you know, having to uh, really strategically think about what you have on you and plan ahead and uh, as you're making your way through the school. Uh, we added a few more details like uh, making, uh, your interactions with the killer a little more intuitive. You get uh, sort of 
uh, readings on which directions she's pursuing you from. Uh, the it's she's faster. <laughs> We've improved a lot of aspects about how the killer pursues you through the school, um, giving you more options in in how you evade and hide from her. Um, yeah, and then. Um, on top of all of that, the aesthetics of the game, we went through and, and really just revisited a lot of uh, the art in the game, uh, redesigned the themes, uh, added a lot of new animations into it. So uh, it, it was just like a, a bit of a, a, an overhaul on all fronts of the game. Oh, awesome. So if you were to give us your parting thoughts, uh, how would you help someone who's coming to the coma for the first time playing the coma recut um what would your number one tip be to to help them get through the game <laughs> number one tip um you know i I'll, I'll take i'll take the question about get through the game in a different way i <laughs> think just just try to try to immerse yourself into the story of it you know like uh get into the idea of like picking up the notes and like really fleshing out everything the in-game universe has to has to offer a lot of people get really frustrated <laughs> by getting killed so often by the killer so uh, i think you want to get through it uh immerse yourself into the narrative um and and just enjoy like fleshing out the the background of the story if I want to give you some more practical advice, uh, drink a lot of. Uh, <laughs> Always helps me. Wow, guys! <laughs> right, the young, the young people of our audience, please, uh, please just mute for for the next twenty seconds <laughs> while we give out really bad life advice. Drink a lot, people. Drink a lot. <laughs> Soju. <laughs> That's something we didn't put into the game. Soju. <laughs> <laughs> curry is uh, rice wine for those who don't know all <laughs> uh, right okay that makes sense but yeah do, do, do not just uh, just a little pro tip do not drink color okay guys <laughs> we don't want uh we don't want to start up a, a generation of alcoholics the coma told me to do it the coma told me to do it but yeah 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 I, one thing when i had a little go on the game george said make sure you know you keep um keep your health up, make sure you, you know, go to the vending machines and, and, and make sure you've got things. Cause if the killer catches you, you're going to need to keep your health high. Yeah. I would say just don't get stuck without, uh, band-aids or antidote, you know, like the yeah, worst thing yeah. would be to get poisoned <laughs> when you're really far away from a vending machine or someplace where you can practically find that stuff. Yeah. So it's always yeah. good to have some of those in, in your backpack. Two two quick questions from me. Um, yeah. It's kind of going back to you know like the gamers and the people that are playing it. The first question is: Have you kind of looking at the audience, looking at who's bought it? Have you noticed whether it's a predominantly like Asian audience that's bought it, or have you seen kind of a really good response in you know the Western audience? Um, and the second question is, have you kind of got any feedback from gamers, uh, perhaps in, in Korea, that, you know, have really identified with the game and, and you know, mm -hmm. told you their story of, of how, you know, how it relates to the game? You know, uh, 
Very interesting questions. And I'm, I'm still waiting. You know, we'll see how that plays out when it comes to, to recut. So I can only speak to um, how cutting class uh, fared. I, I, would, I would say um, our biggest audiences were uh, in China and then randomly Russia. Um, huge. Like our biggest fans are probably in China. And then there was one small country that totally caught me off guard. And there was a time when they, like, m the majority of our sales were coming from this country, Thailand. I don't know what it was about Thailand. I, you know, I, I do know that Thailand does have a very vibrant, like, horror movie scene. And uh, uh, they're into a lot of uh, Korean media there as well. But, yeah, those were the, the three countries where we... we actually received the biggest response. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting feedback from uh, Korean players, here's the, here's the funny thing about it. Uh, of all the countries um, that we've sold the game in, I think Korea ranks quite low on the list of uh, in, in terms of total sales and stuff like that. We've definitely, I, guess all the, uh, I guess all the young students are too busy studying to, to have time to game, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. But, uh, you know, really, just quick fact, I was at a PC bong uh, the other night. Uh, PC bong is a PC room, basically. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, people stay there all night just, you know, playing uh, Dota, Overwatch, other stuff. You, you just pay, like, an hourly fee to, to chill out there. And uh, they... <laughs> They literally have, I mean, I think it's like around 10 o'clock, an announcement that plays through every PC bunk telling students to go back home. Uh, <laughs> no if they're way. age, they cannot stay in the PC bunk. It's like there's a law passed in Korea that they had to go home, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe they are too busy studying to play. But uh, I also just think that it's a, it's a totally different scene in Korea. Uh, in the West, we've really embraced this sort of uh, indie game culture, um, this uh, culture of uh, being open and experimental with uh, different types of uh, games, game designs, uh, uh, titles from small developers, things like that. Uh, Korea, not so much. The indie culture, I mean, it's, it's there, but uh, they're much more focused on like, the bigger titles um, and uh, a lot of mobile games, a, a lot of a lot of mobile mobile games. So maybe that maybe those are the reasons why um, we never really got that much traction in in our own country. But uh, who knows? We'll see with recut. <laughs> okay, and I mean George has been saying that you you know recut is doing really well. Um, he's been saying you know you've been doing really well, especially with you know your release on consoles and stuff. So. I'm glad to hear that it sounds like things things are going well for the remastered, you know, the recut version. Yeah, we uh, we did our best, um, and I mean, we've learned a lot. I think that you know, obviously, if uh, we we could do the game over from the beginning, it would from the beginning from scratch, it would just you know, let's say the coma too, it would be quite different in so many in so many ways. We've just learned so much since we started. Uh, developing games and we've kind of applied that knowledge uh into uh the next game we're making so uh yeah it was it's it's been an interesting run okay and 
And in terms of the next game, um, this was going to be my next question. Do you, I've I've not been told anything. I don't know whether that's public knowledge yet, or, or whether you're okay. kind of keeping that under wraps. No, it's fine. Uh, we're we're working on a a roguelike uh, adventure game called Vambrace, Cold Soul. Um, it's to tell you a little bit about the game. Uh, it's kind of set in this. Uh, it's a it's a fantasy game. Uh, it's set in this cursed city um, that's uh, been overrun by uh, these wraiths, and the survivors have uh, taken shelter in this sort of underground, deep underground city. And uh, your character, the lead character, will have to mount these expeditions to the surface and. Uh, there is a there is a, a linear narrative there, uh, a story that you can see all the way to the end. But uh, we also wanted to add that rogue. Uh, I'm not going to say roguelike, but rogue light element. A distinction, a small distinction to be made there, I guess. Yeah. Where uh, you know you assemble your party, and uh, once you set out for the expedition, that's that's it. It's kind of like faster than light. When you start, you either get to the end and kill the boss. Or you you die and then you have to start over again, right? And so every time you set out for an expedition with your party, that's what you do. You you assemble your party and either you get through it, or w- when your comrades die, they're gone. You know they're they're not coming back. So uh, we wanted to kind of give players that that feeling of uh, urgency and the feeling of relief when you do complete an expedition and then you're able to like make it back. To that Sounds very thing. similar to something like Darkest Dungeon. That's what I was right? thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, in many ways, uh, a lot of design aspects from uh, Darkest Dungeon definitely informed us when we were uh, looking at the game. Definitely sort of the, the uh, uh, 2D side-scrolling uh, design of the game. Uh, looks like that, but other than that, the the combat system, everything is is completely different. Like, uh, yeah, most characters in our game, like the maximum health points are like eight to ten points or something like that. <laughs> that sounds yeah. pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, it is very brutal. Uh, a lot of it was informed by uh, board games that we really love. Um, yeah, actually, uh, George, uh, you guys, uh, I was listening to one of your previous uh, podcasts with, uh, what was his name, uh, Dan, Dan Felder? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such an interesting podcast. And I think that he made a really good point, you know, and it's something that I could relate to definitely when I was uh, listening to him speak. You know, he was uh, mentioning, uh, uh, a lot of people ask him, you know, what do I do if I want to get into game design? How do I get into game design? Uh, where do I start? And he just said, uh, just take one of your favorite board games and uh, try to redesign it. You know, just try to mess around with the mechanics and see if it works or not. See if it makes the game better. And I couldn't agree more. Like so many things that uh, we've done with uh, the next game, Vambrace, it's just us taking sort of existing mechanics from some of our favorite board games and just sort of turning them inside out and, uh, you know, playing around to see what happens. Yeah. And, 
<laughs> soon enough, I guess we'll see whether it uh, amounts to anything. But uh, I think we're pretty confident with it so far. Well, here you well, are. We've, uh, we've heard it from two developers now. Just get out there and start playing around with games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be exciting to see what, what, what Van Brace looks like. Um, I can you know, definitely say that um, that is one game I'll be keeping an eye on. When can sure. we look to uh, see it on the market? Oh... We'll we'll definitely have a, a playable demo out probably by the end of this year. So um, I think we'll finish finish the game probably by if all things go according to plan, which they never do. <laughs> I was just going to say they never do. <laughs> Middle of next year. Okay, Maybe. cool. We might we might you know at the speed we're going right now, you know, we might get done a little earlier, but I would say conservatively. By the middle of next year that's great well we'll certainly look out for it then um the coma recut however that is out now right that's out on playstation 4 uh xbox one and indeed on steam and, and on other stores on the pc right yep yep in fact there's a uh, a deluxe edition as well which is uh floating around on on various different pc stores and i think the deluxe edition is going to be coming to consoles uh as well what does the deluxe edition add We've uh, added a lot of little goodies in there. So uh, we've added the uh, original soundtrack of the game, composed by Hyunho, Minho's brother. And then uh, we also added uh, an art book that features a lot of the uh, uh, pre-production concept art. Some more it is a like gorgeous art book. There's so much in there. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of uh, background info on the characters. Uh, the the story, um, uh, sort of uh, the lore of the coma and the and the t the teachers of the school. Um, <clears throat> we've added stickers, emoticons, and uh, yeah, for Steam gamers, you'll actually have uh, another skin to use for Youngho. So that's pretty cool. Mm, awesome stuff. Well, Tristan, it's been incredibly insightful speaking to you today. Um, I think we've both learned a lot about Korean culture here. And uh, yeah, Absolutely. we're really excited for both the Coma Recut and Van Brace next year. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on here. It's been a lot of fun. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tristan. Right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Um, if you are interested in, interested in listening to any of our previous podcasts, um, you can head to our website, which is bigpixelpodcast.com. George, where can they find us if they want to send us a tweet or two? Yeah, sure. So Twitter is indeed one avenue. Uh, you can tweet at us, whether it be 140 characters or 280, uh, at Big Pixel Podcast. Ben, where can folks find you on the internet? They can also find me on Twitter at Ben Palmer Wilson. That's B-E-N-P-A-L-M-E-R-W-I-L-S-O-N. And after having said that once more, I realize I'm probably going to get a name change to just Ben PW. Really? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tired of saying it. <laughs> George, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter? Where can they find you? Sure. Uh, my handle is G-E-S-M-E-A-D. G -E uh, Tristan, where can people find out more about the coma online and, of course, yourself? Yeah, uh, just go to devespresso.com, D-E-V-E-S, <clears throat> excuse me. P-R-E-S-S-O dot com. Um, I used to 
be pretty active on Twitter. <laughs> I recently wiped <laughs> the slate clean. But if you still feel like following me, at uh, T-L Riven, T-L-R-I-V-E-N. Awesome. And can people follow Devespresso on Twitter as well? Yes, at uh, Devespresso G. G for games, right? Yeah. Or because you're all just such gangsters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to make the joke that it was for George. George is just a little honorary member at yeah. the end of the name. <laughs> <laughs> honorary member of the dev team. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> If you have uh, enjoyed this episode today, uh, make sure that you hop onto SoundCloud or iTunes and leave us a review. Um, if you have anything positive to say, please put it down uh, in the uh, review section. If you have creative criticism as well, we're always happy to hear it. So please just let your thoughts be known. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another exciting episode. And I think that pretty much wraps it up for today. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening. And again, thank you, Tristan, for, for being part of today's show. Yep. Thanks for having me. It's been cool. Take care, everybody. <laughs>